of my favorite uh, things about this time of year, the, the Christmas season, is some of the movies that kind of come back into circulation. You know, you go like 12 months, and there's these certain movies that you never watch. I mean, you never watch them any other time, but as soon as you get a whiff of that Christmas season, it's like you start pulling that movie off the shelf to watch it. And I'm sure that all of us probably have, uh, you know, the list of movies. In fact, I bet if Let's just do this. Let's take for 30 seconds. I want you to look at the people next to you and just share what are the one or two movies that you know every Christmas you are going to watch that movie because that's just what you do. Go ahead and share that with the people sitting next to you. This is, it's so easy for us to do, right? Because all of us have those movies. I mean, all of us have at least one movie. I'm curious, uh, let me hear, uh, just shout out, what are some of the movies that, that people named? What? Christmas Vacation. Christmas Vacation, Home Alone, Elf, I heard Elf. The, what, a Grinch? Yeah, I mean, there's all these movies, right? And, and most of us are familiar with, with each one of these movies because we've all watched them ourselves and all of us have our unique list. You know, when I was a kid, we always watched A Christmas Story, the kid that shot his eye out with the BB gun, you know. Uh, my parents introduced me to It's a Wonderful Life and I remember, yeah, it's a classic, right? And I can remember watching that as a kid and just being like, this is black and white, it's going to be boring. And then by the end of it, I'm like crying, you know, and, and, you know, I've introduced my kids to Elf. I don't know if that says something about our generation, you know, like my parents, it's a wonderful life. Me, Elf, you know, I don't know what that says, but don't read into it too much. You know, we all have these movies, right? And here's what's interesting about these movies that we watch. Uh, we watch them, and the reality is we, ne we don't watch them because we can't wait to find out what happens, right? I mean, we've watched them so many times, and yet we eagerly pull them out. This happened Thursday night at my house. Uh, Thursday night was, was movie night, and so we found Elf, and we put it in, and we watched Elf, you know, this year. And it's like, here's the thing. We know these stories, right? We've learned them. We know what's going to happen. We don't sit on the edge of our seat waiting to see what's going to happen. We've learned the story so much. We watch them because we love them. We, we love the story that is there. We love the way they make us laugh, or we, we love the sense of entertainment, or we love the excitement or the serious meaning that comes out of it. But we watch these stories and these movies that we've already learned, and we watch them year after year because we love them. And see, here's the thing about the story that we're looking at today. You know, we, this time of year, we always turn and we start reading about the birth of Jesus. And, you know, if we're not careful, sometimes this story begins to feel like all those other stories that we watch in movies. You know, it's this story that we've learned, right? We all know this story. I mean, even if you did not grow up in church, you're probably familiar with the story of Jesus' birth. If you grew up, especially in the southeastern United States, you are familiar with the story of Jesus because it's just everywhere. You know, we know there's a stable. We know that there is a, a young woman who's a virgin that has a baby. And, and we know that there's some shepherds and some wise men and a star and some angels. We know the story and how it's going to unfold. We've learned it. And we don't just tell it every year because we love it. You see, there's something else going on here. This story of Jesus' birth is not just a story to be learned. It's also not just a story to be loved. It is actually a story that is meant to be lived. That there's this invitation in the story of Jesus, not just to learn about what happened or to love what happened, although those things are great and important, but there is this invitation in the story of the birth of Jesus to live the story out 
in a way that no other story could ever accomplish. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at a part of this story that is familiar to us. But what I want us to see is that this story is packed full of an invitation to step in and begin living out the story in our very real lives. And so let's read it together. Uh, We're going to start Matthew chapter 1. We're going to read verses uh, 18 through 25. Verses 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord out of Matthew. And so here's this story that we've learned, right? We know this story. It's a, a story that we, that we love, and yet there's so much going on here. And before we move into some of the invitation to how we live it out, I want us just to take a moment just to, to really remember what's happening in this story and to encounter the people that are here. You've got this guy, Joseph. You know, we've heard the story so many times that sometimes Joseph can just feel like this kind of fictitious character that's a part of this neat little story that we tell, but that's not the story. You know, Joseph was a real dude, just a guy who lived in the first century, 2,000 years ago. He's pledged to be married to a woman that he's ready to give his life to. And how do you think Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant? Because when the angel comes to Joseph, he already knows. He already knows. In fact, because it's, Matthew tells us that because he was a good guy, he, 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 he was going to, to, to divorce her quietly because he already knew. You know how he probably found out? Uh, the most way that makes the most sense is that Mary sat him down and said, hey, Joseph, I need to share something with you. I know we're pledged to be married, and I need you to know that I'm pregnant. Can you imagine that moment for Joseph? This woman that he is about to give his entire life to tells him that she's carrying a child, and he knows it is not his child. You imagine the range of emotions the feelings of betrayal, the feelings of being hurt, the anger that probably was mixed in there and stirred up in there with him. And so Mary tells him, and Joseph, because he's so hurt and because he's like, I, I can't do this, I can't marry a woman who's gonna carry somebody else's child, he, he decides instead of dragging her through the mud publicly with disgracing her, he decides to do it quietly because at least he was a man of integrity and although she had wronged him, he was not gonna turn around and do that to her. And it's in this moment where he's made this decision that this angel comes to him and says, hey, Joseph, 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 don't be afraid because the baby within her is not because she was unfaithful. He says, your wife is not pregnant because she was unfaithful. She, she is pregnant because she was chosen by God because of her faithfulness. And the Holy Spirit has conceived a child. It is the son of God and you were to name him Jesus. And I love this. Like Joseph says, okay, I'll do it. He wakes up. And this week as I was reading the, the story, I just kept thinking, like, can you imagine what the next nine months were like for Joseph and Mary? Some of the conversations they had to have. 
you know, Joseph wakes up from that dream and then he decides that he's going to marry her anyways. He has to go tell his parents that. Hey, I know what I told you about her being pregnant, um, but I'm going to marry her anyways. And they're like, what? You're going to marry that tramp? She ran around and you're like, no, I know this sounds crazy, but she was, it's, yeah, it's, she, it's the Holy Spirit's baby, you know? Can you imagine like trying to, trying to share that with your parents? And He's already had to hear it from Mary, and he knows how absurd it sounds, but he's sharing. You imagine how many times Mary had to tell that story to her parents and to their friends and the people around them, and for nine months, they watch her belly grow as the Son of God grows within her womb, and they have to figure out what to tell people. You got to wonder if eventually they just kind of gave up and started telling some other stories. They went through nine months of awkwardness and embarrassment trying to tell the story that God was trying to tell through them. As I read that this week, I kept kind of going, man, what, what makes that worth it? Because, you know, we read it and it seems like that nine months isn't even mentioned. But I don't know if you've ever tried to track nine months of your life. It's a, it feels like a long time. Like nine months is a long time. So how did they push through that? What made it worth it for them to go through that for nine months? I think Matthew gives us this clue as to why all of this was worth it. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 22, this is what he says. He says, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so here, once again, we have this prophet, this guy, Isaiah. We talked about him last week. It's some 750 years before Jesus was born, he, he reveals the purposes of God. He says, listen, a virgin is gonna conceive, and the child that is born will be called God with us, that everything that Mary and Joseph go through, everything this story points us to is accomplishing the purposes of God, that he longs to be at home with his people. He longs not to be a God who is at a far distance, but a God that is knowable and a God that is with his people. And so the story, the story points to this idea of Emmanuel. Emmanuel, this weird word that we say around Christmas that Matthew tells us the meaning. It literally means God with us. God, the almighty God, the creator God, the one who spoke everything into being. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, the mysteriously beautiful God, the high God above all gods. He has come to be with his people. And as I was praying and thinking about that this week, this, this aspect of the story caught me that I hadn't really noticed before. I felt like God was trying to get my attention. He was saying, you know, Emmanuel obviously makes us think about Jesus because Jesus is the one who is called Emmanuel. He's the one that is born at Christmas time. He's the one that we think about. But what God, was, I think he was trying to get my attention. He was trying to say, Aaron, listen, Emmanuel, this idea of God with us is not just about God the Son. It's about God and all of his entirety. It is about God the Father. It is about God the Son. And it is about God the Spirit. The bigness of who God is. And God impressed upon me that this story of Emmanuel is the story of God and all his entirety, leveraging all of who he is so that he can be with humanity. And when I began to see the fullness of God played out in this story, that's when I began to get a glimpse of the invitation that is out there for us to live into it. And we'll talk about what that invitation is, but first I want you to see where I began to notice all of God, Father, Son, and Spirit playing out in the story of Emmanuel, God with us. We'll start with God the Father. And so how do we see God the Father at work in this idea of Emmanuel? Because it's God the Son who takes on flesh. So what is it that, the God, that God the Father did in order to become God with us? Well, we see this so clearly in John chapter 3, verse 16. It's this verse that we, we read it all the time. We read it today before we started. 
But John 3, 16, this very simple message, Jesus says, listen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but rather to save the world through him. You see, God the Father leveraged himself to become Emmanuel by entrusting the world with his very own son. Now, this is kind of hard for us to understand sometimes. You gotta think about who God is. The, the picture that the Bible paints for us of who God is is that he, he is perfect. He is the Almighty. He deserves all authority. He has all power. He deserves everyone to hit their knees before him and to give their lives and follow him and him alone. This is who God is according to the Bible. And yet humanity, who are the creation of God Almighty, for the history of the world has done nothing but rebel against that almighty God. We have resisted this idea that there is some God that should somehow dictate what my life should look like, that I should somehow you know, submit myself to some other God. And so you've got this God who is, who is worthy of all worship, and you've got humanity that has been rebelling against this God. It's like this strife between the two, and humanity has believed that this God wants nothing but to destroy me. This God wants nothing but bad things for me because he's always trying to tell me what I can't do. And God is going, how do I show my people that I'm not at war with them? How do I show them that my heart is for them, that I love them? How do I show them that what I long for is peace between us, peace between me and my people? And he says, I know what I'll do. I will entrust them with my very own son. And I was trying to think of what a, like a human example of what this would look like. And the only example I could think of was so absurd that I realized, wow, this really is the perfect example. Like, can you imagine like two nations being at war with one another? And one of those nations realized that the whole time all they really wanted was peace, but they kept being drawn into war. So finally they say, how do I show this other nation that what I really want is peace? I know what I'll do. I'll take my only child and I will send this child to live in this other nation so that they can see, listen, the last thing I want to do is destroy your nation. The last thing I want to do is bomb you or blow you up because I'm putting my own child there. I'm going to put my child there in your midst to be cared for by you. And I am not going to destroy my own child. Do you see that what I'm longing for is peace with you because I love you? It sounds so absurd. This would be like President Trump suddenly decided that what he really and truly wanted was peace with North Korea. And so he calls up Kim Jong-un and he's like, hey, I'm going to send my 11-year-old son to live in your midst to show you that I'm not about to blow you up because I'm putting my own son there in your midst. I mean, the absurdity of that idea. And yet this is what God the Father does. He says, listen, you think that I'm against you. You think that this is a war, but I want to show you I'm going to entrust you with my very own son into your midst. He's going to be born as a helpless infant because I long for peace with you because I love you. So we see God, the Father, leveraging his own son, leveraging who he is in order to show that what he longs for is to be Emmanuel, God with us, out of his love for us. And so what about God, the Son? You know, we see God, the Father, entrusting the Son. Well, what about God, the Son? What about Jesus? Well, if the Father entrusts, what we see the Son doing is surrendering. The Son, Jesus Christ, he says, hey, listen, I'll, I'll do that. I'll do it. 
We get this very clear, if we're not careful, sometimes we can get this bad theology that God is somehow this mean-spirited dad that sent his son to do the thing he didn't want to do. But what we see in Philippians chapter 2, Paul paints this picture for what Jesus is really like. Paul's talking to early Christians, and he says, hey, listen, if, if you want to know the joy of Jesus, then you need to have the same attitude as Jesus. You need to have the same love as Jesus. And he says, this is how you're to treat one another. Think about this, that Jesus, this is Philippians 2, verse 5, Jesus, who being in his very nature equal with God, equal with God, he, he let go of that because he did not consider his position, this equality with God, something that he should hold on to for his own advantage. But he said, I will surrender this. I will pay the cost to be able to come and be with our people. I want to be with my people. He said, listen, I will become Emmanuel regardless of what it costs me. Have you ever, have you ever contemplated what it cost Jesus to become Emmanuel, to become God with us? I mean, Philippians 2 tells us that he is equal with God. John 1 tells us that he's been with God from the beginning. Colossians, Colossians 1 tells us that, that through Jesus, all things are held together, that Jesus living in, in the heavenly realms, that mysterious place that we don't know what to do with, and he gives that up to come walk on this earth. We thought about what it cost him. The comfort of heaven, the stability and the security of heaven, totally removed from the pain and the chaos and the war that is ravaged on this earth, that he, he gave all that up to come and live as a little child. Uh, one of the things that's crazy to me is this idea that God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. He can be uh, everywhere and see everything that is happening all the time. Jesus has that, and he gives that up to come and be this tiny little child that can only be wherever his mother will carry him. He pays that price. He gives up power and authority Security, safety, comfort. He pays this huge cost to become Emmanuel, God with us. Why would he do that? Why would Jesus do that? And the answer is he does it because it's just the overflow of his love for humanity. You see, the picture of this baby, Jesus, in a manger is a symbol of how much heaven loves you. How much God loves you. You know, this word love, it's so hard for us to really ca capture sometimes. I think our culture has done a pretty effective job at watering down the word love. You know, we use the word love just about anything that we have affection for, right? Uh, I'll talk about uh, loving my kids, and then the next sentence, I'm talking about how much I love my shoes, or how much I love my car, you know, or I love that restaurant. Or, we just throw it out like everything. But here's, here's the thing, that, that, that this book that we have before us, and the language was originally written, and it had four different words to talk about love. And all those different words have their own beauty, but there is this one word that was always reserved to talk about the kind of love that God has for his people, for his children, the type of love that Jesus has that led him to surrender it all. And this word is this word agape. And I love, there's this uh, Christian writer and, and theologian named C.S. Lewis who wrote at length about the nature of this word agape in his book, The Four Loves. And the basic thing, he says, listen, he says, this is what love is. Agape, this, this kind of radical love, it means giving. It is more concerned with what it has to give than with what it has to gain. This word agape love, what it says is, hey, no matter what it costs me, I am going to seek the good of this other person that I love. No matter what it costs me, I'm going to seek the good of this other person. I love the way Lewis talks about it. He says, listen, you want to kind of understand agape. He says, agape love is that affection that we kind of naturally have about ourselves, but that which we must learn to have about others. 
And we all know how to preserve ourselves, right? We all know how to take care of ourselves and make sure that we get what we need, but I get what I need. But what agape love says, hey, listen, I will throw aside everything that I need in order to take care of somebody else who needs. Agape love will pay whatever cost to show the love that another person needs. And so Jesus, full of this agape love, gladly surrenders the comfort, the power, the privilege, the position of heaven so that he could come and be Emmanuel, God with us, motivated by love. And so we see God, the Father, entrusting humanity with his Son. We see God, the Son, surrendering and letting go, paying whatever cost so that humanity can be with him. And then finally, we see God the Spirit. How does God the Spirit, be, how is God the Spirit leveraged in order to make this story of Emmanuel, God with us possible? And see, if God the Father entrusts and God the Son surrenders, then, then God the Spirit empowers and brings life. Isn't this what it says in Matthew 1, verse 20? The angel says to Joseph, don't be afraid to take her home because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is able to empower Mary, this just normal woman in first century, to carry around the Son of God in her womb. The Holy Spirit is what comes upon this, this woman's body who should not have a baby inside of her. And he creates life there within her. The Holy Spirit empowers her to carry the life and the love of the Son of God. And the Holy Spirit creates that life right there in her womb. And so we see God the Father longing to be with his people and trusting his Son. We see God the Son surrendering, paying whatever cost. And we see God the Spirit empowering and bringing life. This is how God becomes Emmanuel, by leveraging all of his being, all of who he is, so that he could be with his people. So I think seeing the fullness of God and his love displayed in Emmanuel is where we see the invitation to live it out. Because here's the thing, that this God, this God that we see doing this in Matthew chapter 1, he has not changed. He's the same today as he was when Matthew wrote this. He's the same today as he was when Jesus was born of a virgin 2,000 years ago. God has not changed and he's still in the business of entrusting and surrendering and empowering. And the way that we live this story out is in seeing and believing that God's radical agape love is still on display in the world today, right now, and he's inviting us to be a part of it. And here's how I think he does this. I'll start with God the Father. You know, God the Father entrusted his son. I've often wondered, like, man, what would it have been like to be Mary? To have God come and say, hey, I, I'm going to trust you with something that is so precious to me. I, I'm going to give you my only son. And this week, as I reflected on this, I asked that question, like, God, what was that like for Mary to be entrusted? And, and I felt like God began to say, Aaron, don't you understand that's still what I do today? That yes, there is, that Jesus was significant and Jesus is unique because he is the only begotten son of God. And yet God has many children, some of whom have found their way through Jesus back into the family of God, but many of whom don't know the radical agape love that he has to offer them and they are lost and far from him. And I believe that what God is saying is, listen, I am still entrusting my kids that have been adopted, my kids that have come home, I'm entrusting them with my kids that are still far off. You know, I think it's what we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 47. 
It's the day of Pentecost has come and the apostle Peter has stood up and he has preached about the Holy Spirit. He has preached about the resurrection of Jesus. And all these people give their life to Jesus. And at the very end of chapter 2, Acts 2.47 says this, And the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. In other words, the Lord was looking out and he was seeing his kids that were still far away and he started leading them where? He led them to the church. He brought them to the people who had already come home so that they could show them, hey, let me display for you what this agape love looks like. Do you know that the people around you that are far from Jesus, they're not around you by mistake. Do you know that God is still in the business of entrusting his kids to us? Hey, your coworkers, the, the people that live next door to you, your, your family members, your, your friends, your roommates, like if, if they're far from Jesus, they're not there by mistake. The Lord has said, hey, listen, you know about my love and I'm entrusting you with this relationship. Will you put my love on display? You know what it looks like for followers of Jesus to be entrusted with this? It means that we step into the way that Jesus lived and we learn how to love radically those that are around us. This hit me really hard earlier this year. You guys have heard me talk about the process my wife and I are in right now of adopting and you know, it's like she came to me about a year ago, actually. She came to me and said, hey, I would love it if we could pray about adoption. And I'm going like, what? We, are, we already have three kids. Like, I only wanted two. I compromised. I gave you a third. Like, why do you, you want me to pray and uh, talk about adding another? I didn't want to do it. So she asked me to, to spend fast forward. Do you guys remember that 30 days of fasting we did at the beginning of this year? She said, hey, will you just pray for this 30 days and let's just ask God. So I prayed and about halfway through the fast, God just started softening my heart, and he said, hey, you need to be open to this. And I, I, I didn't feel this call to do it, but I just felt this call that I needed to be at least open to it. And so I told Amy, I'm like, hey, let's keep praying. And so we prayed, and for another seven months, and it wasn't until July that I was hearing another woman talk about her experience and her story surrounding adoption, and I felt like God was going, Aaron, don't you understand that I'm trying to entrust you with one of my children? I'm trying to entrust you with one of my kids to display my love, and you are resisting this. I remember just feeling like so overwhelmed, like, wow, wow, what a privilege and an honor that God the Father would entrust us with his kids that don't know about his love so that he can let his love live in us towards them. Wow. See, there's an invitation to live this story, to be entrusted with the children of God. But what about Jesus the Son, you know, God the Son? God entrusts us, and Jesus says, hey, listen, as the Father entrusts you with these relationships, trying to put the, uh, display the love of God to them is going to come at a cost. It almost always does. And Jesus says, listen, just like I surrendered, if you want them to see the love of God, then it's gonna take some surrender on your part. And here's the thing, trying to display the radical, selfless, agape love of God does not come without a cost. Here's what Jesus said. He said, hey, if you wanna follow me, let me tell you what it's gonna look like. If you wanna follow me, you're gonna have to take up your cross and daily lay down your life, daily surrender yourself for the good of others so that people will see. So this is how they'll know that you're my disciples, by the way that you love one another. The love that lives within you will point others to who the Father is. But this comes at a cost. Sometimes we have to surrender. Sometimes, it, sometimes it'll cost us money, yes, but sometimes, most of the time, it costs us things like time. You know, one of those 
It costs us like a night where we hope to have a peaceful home and somebody calls and they need to talk and we got to make a decision about what we're going to do. It, it, it costs us the, the discomfort around being around somebody that we never know what to say to because it feels awkward and uncomfortable, but we know that God wants us to show that person love. It comes at a cost where sometimes I have to swallow my pride. And Jesus says, hey, let me show you the way of surrender. Let me show you the joy and the beauty that can come when you will let go of your own comfort, when you will let go of your own priorities so that others may see the radical love of God put on display in your life. Jesus paved the way. He showed us, and he invites us in to join him with that. Now, this is not easy. I know it's not easy. Uh, I mean, last night, last night, I, I totally failed at this. I had an opportunity to show the selfless agape love to my own wife. We were in a conversation and we got into a little bit of an argument and I got so mad and so offended that all, the only cost would have been my own pride of saying I'm sorry. And instead I rolled over and turned off my bedside lamp and went to bed. And the last words I said to her before we went to sleep were rude. You know, and I woke up this morning and I'm like looking over this sermon. <laughs> and the Lord's just like, what are you doing? What are you doing? This is not easy. But here's what Jesus says. He says, listen, if you'll follow me, I'll show you how to surrender. And he says, he doesn't say you have to do this out of your own might or out of your own will. He says, I'm going to give you my spirit who's going to empower you to be able to do the things that you cannot do on your own. This is what Jesus says in John 20, verse 21. He looks at his disciples and he says, hey, as the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. In other words, listen, the same posture that I've been sent with this surrendering posture, now I'm sending you with the same posture. And, he said, and then he breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Right there, Jesus is saying, hey, listen, if you're gonna walk the way that I walked, you're gonna need some help. Let me give you some help. In Acts chapter one, verse eight, he says, listen, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive power to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Because the Holy Spirit gives us what we need to be able to have the courage and the strength to let go and surrender and step into displaying the love of God for the world around us. You see, the, whole, the Father, he continues to entrust. Jesus, the Son, continues to surrender. And the Holy Spirit continues to empower and bring life. And I watched this this morning. I I got up early to leave to come work on the sermon at the office, and Dave came into the office, and we start talking. He asked me how I'm doing. I'm just like, man, I'm, I'm preaching about this stuff, but I failed at it last night. And so he, he prayed with me. He says, have you, told, have you talked to Amy? Have you, like, repented? And I'm like, no, I haven't. And he prays for me, and I, I feel this, like, uh, this dread of having to talk this out. And instead, I just, I just called Amy, and I'm just like, hey, I'm sorry. I was an idiot last night. That's not who I want to be. That's not my strength. <laughs> it's not my willpower. I showed my strength last night. But this morning being prayed for by a brother, the strength of the Holy Spirit within me began to stir something new so that I'm able to repent and let go of my pride. There are gonna come these moments in your life where you have opportunity to display the love of Jesus to people around you that may be hard to love or people that may cost you. Jesus says, let me show you how to surrender and let me give you the power to be able to do it. We are the family of God, church. And we display the love of Jesus to the world, not because we're better than other people, but because we have the very spirit of God only because of Jesus. And Jesus says, will you step into this? You've been entrusted Will you surrender? I will empower if you will surrender. I think this is why the 
Apostle Paul tells us that the very first fruit of the Spirit is love. <laughs> because he knows how hard this is for people. It's so hard to live out a selfless love. And so he says, hey, listen, the fruit of the Spirit in your life is agape, is love. Let him produce it in you. And so here's, here's what we're gonna do this morning. We're gonna take communion. And I wanna just give us some real simple questions to wrestle with as we go to the table, as we take the, uh, the body and the blood with the bread and the cup. I want you to just ask this real simple question. Who is it that God is entrusting you with this Christmas season? In other words, who is it that God is calling you to love well? Who is it God is calling you to love well? Ask him. Ask him what the name is. Ask him who the person is. But then I want you to turn around and I want you to ask, God, what am I going to have to surrender in order to love this person well? Jesus said, hey, we should always count the cost before we step in. And so ask God this morning as you come to the table with one another, who is it that, that God is calling me to love well? Who is, he, who is he entrusting to me? And God, what's it going to cost me in order to love them well? And then I just want you to share that with one another. And as people share it with you, just pray and ask that the Holy Spirit would give us the power that we need in order to live out this radical, self-denying kind of love that Jesus has modeled for us. It's an amazing time of year, not just because we've learned a story, not just because we love this story, but because God is going, hey guys, come on, come on, let's live this story so that the love of God and the glory of God can fill the earth. So I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to take communion. If you need someone to pray with or you'd like to pray with somebody, we'll have men and women at the Respond banner for you. Uh, we would love to pray. Let's stand together as I pray. And we did this last week, and just as a sign of our being a family, I want to invite you, if you're comfortable, just grab the hand of the person next to you. Father God, we come before you, and Lord, would you let the lengths that you've gone to to show us your love, to be Emmanuel, God with us, would you let that capture our hearts? Father, thank you for taking the risk of entrusting your son to us. Thank you for taking the risk of entrusting your kids to us today. Jesus, thank you for the way of surrender, that upside down way of living that leads to life that feels at first like it leads to death. Would you show us? Would you show us, Jesus? Would you empower us with your spirit as we take of your body, as we take of your blood? Would you remind us that you've paved the way, that you've given us all that we need, that all the resources of heaven are available to us that all you're inviting us into is to radically love one another and to love the world around us. This morning, would you show us, Lord, as we commune with one another, would you show us the people, show us their faces? Would you help our hearts to feel the love that you have for them? And Lord, as we count what we have to surrender, would you fill us with joy as you did, Jesus? Help this radical agape love to truly live within our hearts. We love you, Father. We praise you. We give you all glory. Would you come and be in our midst as we worship and as we commune with one another?